And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman back with another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We are without Chris Peters today. We do have a packed show to talk about. Corey's redrafts have been coming out all week. We're going to talk about his placement on those. But I want to start, Corey, with the NHL season, the early returns on a couple of the top prospects from the 2022 draft, Shane Wright and Uri Slavkovsky, the only two right now in the NHL. Uh, And I wonder, based on what you've seen in this first week, do you think they're going to stay there for long? I would say on both, the, the very, very early returns look like they're not ready. That doesn't mean that they can't get to a point where they look like they're NHL players this season or and get to a point where they can help their team win hockey games. Uh, obviously, both Seattle and Montreal, I would argue, are teams that are probably heading towards the bottom of the standings at some point in the season. Exactly where on the standings, we'll see as the season progresses. Um, but neither of them are great teams, so they have opportunities to play their guys and and give them some opportunities. Although I don't think either of them are really getting much ice time. Neither of them on the power play. Shane Wright was healthy scratching a couple of games already this season. And I think eventually, especially with uh, with Wright, where you, you have to send him back to CHL and you can't send him back to American League like you can with Slavkovsky, you're probably going to have to make that decision sometime in the next few weeks on whether you want to, not if they can keep him up all year, but when he gets to the nine game point, you got that's a decision variable, and then, and then the forty game points another decision variable on whether you go send him to the CHL or not. And like I said, I think my lean right now would be to send both right to the CHL and Slavkovsky to the American League. Uh, obviously, though, with Slavkovsky's case, if he plays really well down there, maybe you could bring him back up, uh, so they can maybe be a little bit more, a little bit more patient with him and and kind of see how we adjust to the NHL over, the, over these next few weeks. Uh, 
But yeah, I would not say from what I've seen either of them really look NHL ready right now. I think they'll both be excellent players with time. Uh, and they've had, especially Slavkovsky, I've seen, you know, some flashes here or there that that'll look good. But I, I don't think either of them look ready to help an NHL team right now. Yeah, Montreal came through Detroit uh, last weekend. And so Slavko- I got to see Slavkovsky live. You know, like you said, I don't think he was like bad. It just didn't, he didn't stand out. It didn't look like, uh, he was ready to make a big impact. And with a player of that importance level to your franchise, that's the key for both of these guys, right? Is it's, it's not about, you know, sending them down to, to punish or anything like that. It's just a matter of they, they need reps. They need minutes, probably more, certainly in Shane Wright's case, more than he's gotten so far. And Slavkovsky, who I believe was, was even in the top nine uh, early in the season, I, I think I saw him down on the fourth line the other night. So I think that's really the key is just managing two young guys here. With how important those players are uh, to those organizations' futures, and given that they are, you know, they're the high end picks, they're offensive guys, like not having those guys get the puck a lot, not having them on the power play, it, it's probably not ideal for their development. I, I believe Martin St. Louis, when he, when he was asked about that, kind of opened the door that, that, you know, over the course of the year, he would be open to like bringing stuff, costing into the power play. But if he doesn't look ready, doesn't look ready to help your team, you have other options. You know, the American League is not the worst thing in the world for a guy in that situation, especially given that he did not, he has not really had that consistent, you know, year versus men because he didn't do that in TPS in the league last season. Nothing wrong, I think, with sending him to the American League and and hopefully he, he kind of makes an impact down there and gets those touches versus men, gets that confidence. Then you bring him up maybe midseason again and and hopefully it goes better. Well, we we saw last year, I think we even talked about Owen Power in Buffalo kind of did future teams a favor by having Power spend the majority of his draft plus one um, not in the NHL. That was a trend that probably needed to be broken. Uh, Power in Buffalo did break it. Um, But what is interesting here, if if both of these guys do indeed kind of leave their clubs uh, in, in the near future here, Last year, we still had Cole Sillinger in the NHL, and, and I think uh, this would be the first time in a while that we've got no draft, no draft plus one uh, guys in, in the league off this most recent draft. Yeah, I actually can't even remember the last time it, it, it would happen. I, I forget maybe Eric Johnson's draft. I don't remember if anybody from that one was in there the, the year the year after. Like obviously, Johnson wasn't in the NHL, so that's why I, I thought of that one initially. Uh, I believe, I think Spezza went back. The one year, but I think Kovalchuk was in the, was in the league already. Um, so it's you. I think you you really got to go way back there to, to think of one. Uh, and obviously Simon Nemich, David Yerchek both had really good camps for New Jersey and Columbus, respectively. I could see them come up with points during the year if they get into injury issues. But I, this could, you know, we'll see what these teams decide to do with Wright and Slavkovsky. You know, Seattle, for example, when Ron Francis was asked about it, said he, he thinks he could be up all year. But given how the early returns look, we'll see whether they stick to that or not. But yeah, this could be very well be a draft class where you don't have a legit full-time NHL player the year after the draft occurred. Quick glance, uh, I do think Jordan Stahl uh, did play in, in that uh, Eric Johnson year. But I wonder, like, is there like a is there a, is there a takeaway that we would have from this? Is this something that we think NHL teams are maybe getting more comfortable not moving players along so quickly? It's interesting because I think when I think about the direction of the NHL, I think, hey, the younger players are getting more and more important. Um, but I, I do wonder if there's an element to this where we see what happened with Owen Power. And I think, you know, multiple young defensemen have been kind of taking their time getting to the league. Uh, now, this year we could have no draft plus one for the bulk of the year. 
do we think teams are just getting more comfortable with that? Is it more of a product of just the two classes as as a, you know standalone products? I think it's a combination, probably more the second than the first. Just I think we had a couple of years in a row where you really lacked that no doubt high end guy that was going to come into the league and help your team right away. I think next year you're going to have one or more of those guys. Yep. So I think you're gonna get maybe the it just averages out there where you have zero and then you have maybe two or three of them in the following year. Uh, so, but but I I definitely think with defensemen you're seeing teams, you know, very much take a, a cautious approach. I think you can ask a lot of NHL scouts. They would have said Luke Hughes, for example, was ready to come into the NHL and help the Devils. But I think that's been the development path with a lot of those young defensemen is take that extra time, develop your defensive play, come into the league and and be in a position where the coach can trust you. Well, you mentioned Luke Hughes. Uh, I want to get into some of your redraft articles that have been posting this week. And, and we can start with, with Luke Hughes' draft, the, the 2021 NHL draft. And you have him in a redraft as the number one overall pick, uh, you know, a year and a half later. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that's a consensus opinion. I think you could ask, I think, any scout in the league about those top four guys, Luke Hughes, Matthew Beneers, Owen Power, Mason McTavish. And you would get, I think, almost every iteration of those four ranked. I think everyone has their has their favorites for whatever reason. Uh, mine is Hughes, just because I think that the toolkit is just really unique and dynamic. Um, but obviously, Beniers has looked awesome this year in Seattle. Owen Power is a is a you know a really unique type of hockey player. Not many defensemen his size who can skate and have offense. Mason McTavish obviously had a great year last year. Is full of talent and competitiveness. Um, but yeah, I I would if on my personal list I would favor Luke right now as the best player from that class. My first thought looking through that re-rank from that draft is that the top ten got it pretty close. Maybe not a hundred percent bullseye on the order, but that tier has so far turned out to be pretty correct. You got Hughes at one, Veneers Power two three, uh, McTavish who went three is at four, Genther who was at nine went five, Edvinson holding at six. Kent Johnson, uh, who was five, is at seven. Cole Sillinger jumps in at eight. Brant Clark at nine. William Eklund at ten. That that all pretty much holds serve. Um, but one of the big risers, and and I think we've we've talked about him plenty over the last year as as he's done it, is Olin Zellweger, who goes from being an early second round pick, uh, and he parlays some uh, just a great performance. I think it really started leading up to the draft at that U18s, and he just hasn't slowed down. He's now at number eleven for you. Yeah, and. and- you can debate whether he should be that high or not as a small defenseman, but as we talked about before, I think he's he's a pretty special young defense, uh, small defenseman. I think there's a lot there to be excited about in his game, from his skating, his great skill, his great offensive hockey sense. And the other big uh, jump from that draft, who is currently in the NHL, is Wyatt Johnston. Yep. Um, had you know, obviously he was the OHL MVP last season. Just looked outstanding with Windsor. Then he goes into Dallas' camp. He makes the team. He's getting real minutes for them right off the bat. Super smart player. He competes well. He's a good-sized centerman. Uh, this looks like a guy who's going to be a really big part of the Dallas Stars for a very long time. One one area that there's been some separation, I guess I would say, Jesper Wallstedt, uh was a guy who I think was, he was the second goalie off the board in that draft. He's now, you know, at number 12, Kosa down at number 29, you know, obviously still still to the top consensus goalies in that class, but Wallstedt in the year since has put some distance there just, just to create some clear separation. Yeah. I mean, they went a couple of picks apart in the actual draft. I think on my, for my actual end of year list, 
I think they were literally back to back. Yep. And, and yeah, since then, Wallstedt was just outstanding in Sweden last year and Kosa, who I would argue has the better pure toolkit than Wallstedt, but he's been more up and down. Uh, I know you cover him more closely than I do. Is it even 100% sure where he's playing this season still right now? He he started the year, his, his opener was uh, in the ECHL. I don't know whether that was just because Toledo was in West Michigan in, in Kalamazoo. He, he sounds like we're recording this on uh, Wednesday afternoon. He's supposed to play, I think he's supposed to get his first start in the AHL Wednesday night uh, against Yaroslav Askarov, which will be fascinating to watch. But no, I, as far as I know, I don't think that that's settled yet. Right, yeah, so we'll see how obviously his year goes, where he plays, and, and how he performs. The other uh, interesting kind of duo that that we should mention, you know, the the Dallas class that had Ottinger, Robertson, uh, and, and Heiskin, it obviously gets a lot of attention for its importance to the Dallas Stars organization. This could be another one though. This twenty twenty one class where they pull Wyatt Johnson and Logan Stankoven, who you have at thirteen and fourteen on this list. I know you touched on Johnson already. But Stankovan climbs up from a second round pick to be an upper half of the first round guy for you. Uh, obviously, it's, it's we don't expect it to have quite the impact of that 17th class, sure. but another really important one potentially. Yeah, and we'll see whether Stankoven, you know, obviously Johnson's in the NHL. We'll see when Stankoven actually does make it. Although he went deep into Dallas's camp, had a had a, was a, had a strong performance for them there, and I expect yep. he'll have a monster WHL season and be a huge part of the World Junior Team for Canada. Uh, you know, I think you're kind of hoping you have maybe a next Connor Garland type of guy there, given his size and not, you know, a blazing fast guy, but just super competitive and has a ton of hockey sense and, and skill and scoring ability. Uh, he, he does, he looks like an excellent uh, player right now and someone who I think will be, you know, an important part of the franchise. May not as like Hunt Johnston, who is protected as a top two line center. Stan Coben, I think, is, even though he's played center and junior, is probably a wing in the NHL, but. A very important piece, nevertheless, given his great scoring ability. All right, let's get into the 2020 redraft then. Uh, and, and you've got another kind of change at number one. And I don't think a particularly surprising one, given what we've seen so far in the NHL. Tim Stutzla jumps up. It's a tier, unlike Luke Hughes, who kind of is in a tier of his own, a top 2021 20, for you. This is a tier that goes four deep. Tim Stutzla, Lucas Raymond, Alexi Lafreniere, and Seth Jarvis. Uh, how close, I guess, is this tier for you? How, how much distance does Stutzla have on the other guys? It's it's very close. I think you can make reasonable arguments for those top three guys to still be the number one guy. It was funny. I was I peeked at the comments uh, in the article, and there were people arguing that Alexi Lafreniere was both too high and too low. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I, I think that kind of shows, you know, just you know, obviously these these are still developing young players, and, and we'll see. And, I, and I, none of them, I would say, are true stars yet in the NHL, even though I think they will be. So uh, there's still a lot of projection. To go with it, but I lean towards Stutzla just because uh, the dynamic skating ability to go with the offense and that he's a center, uh, I think, are all really strong arguments in his favor. I, I'm going to go give you a just right on Lafreniere for what it's worth. I mean, uh, he could go maybe one spot higher or two for me, but uh, I think he's just right where he is right now, where you have him slotted. He's off to a nice start this year, and I think what you saw in the playoffs from him, uh, super encouraging. For, for Rangers fans. He's looked really good to start the season. Like this is not, like, I think the guy's a star. Like he's an awesome young player. It's just, he hasn't had obviously the big start to the career that you've hoped you hoped he would, but he's still a great hockey player. One that, that we really should talk about is Caden Gooley and, and his rise. Uh, he, he's off to a nice start to start this season. Uh, looks like a real player here for Montreal. 
Yeah, and obviously Montreal is a great team, so there's a lot of opportunity to be had. But he's running with that opportunity. He's looked very good to start this season. Obviously, just such a you know big mobile defenseman. He's so physical and competitive. And the debate on him always was how much offense he has. And he's shown offense in the early parts, you know, through his preseason into the NHL start regular season. We'll see whether that's a thing that can persist over the long term. But if he keeps showing offense to go with all those other great attributes he has, it's it's only going to keep strengthening his case as one of the best defensemen from the draft. I feel like uh, I'm going to be earning some brownie points here with our producer, Chris, uh, for advocating for all these Ranger guys here. But Braden Schneider at 21, uh, you have uh, Lucas Cormier at 16. Nikishin, Alexander Nikishin, I know is a guy we should talk about at number 19. Why is Schneider not a tier higher than you have him? I think you can make like a reasonable argument. I think like the, I think Schneider looks pretty close to Nikishin. Nikishin showing a lot of offense right now in the KHL early on. That's the one question with Schneider exactly how yep. many, how much offense is going to come. Probably not a lot of opportunity on the Rangers. You know that's common theme we're talking about with these Rangers guys with Lafreniere with Schneider. We'll get to that with Keandre Miller too in terms of like you know yep. on an Adam Fox driven team. Where's the power play time come from? Um, but I think that's kind of the, the debate there a little bit with. Uh, with that one, but I, I, I think I, I think Schneider is a great player. I think a re- there's a reasonable argument to uh, to move him up. One more guy in this class I want to talk about. Lucas Reichel gets himself into kind of the the back half of what was the upper tier of this class. Uh, he, he's number eleven on your list, right behind Jack Quinn, Cole Perfetti, Jamie Drysdale, all guys who went in the top ten of that class. Uh, and, and he had a good preseason. He, he looks like a, a player who can be a legit part of a top six. He had a good camp. I wouldn't say he had an amazing camp. It's, it's partly why he was sent down to the American League, although he got a three-point night in his first game in the American League right away. Um, I I got to imagine he's going he's gonna to be up with Chicago real shortly. I I, I know they're – they said they want him to be a clear top six guy when they bring him in, and you could have some reasonable debate on whether he already is, especially on that roster. Um, but I listen. I have nothing wrong with being patient with young guys, and I think Reichel has so many NHL assets between his skating, his hockey sense, his skill, his competitiveness. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good player with time. Um, one thing he doesn't really move much in terms of drafts off, but I do want to know from this draft that I think uh, Jake Sanderson's looked really good so far yeah. with Ottawa. So I think that it'll be interesting to see how his his year goes, how Ottawa's year in general goes, with how young that team is to go with those veteran additions. Um, cause, but Sanderson, they don't look like they're weaning him in. They look like they're giving him big minutes right away. Just to wrap up and let, let's go to Nikishin, who we talked about kind of in the context of Schneider, but in his own right, he probably deserves his own topic here. He, he's had a really nice rise since his draft. Yeah. Honestly, he was a big part of that Russian Olympic team. Uh, last year played a top four role. He was, I uh, just traded to Scott during the off season, uh, just named to the KHL all-star, all-star game. Um, a couple, couple days ago, he's been off to a, a really hot start. He's one of the best defensemen in the league right now. Big, mobile, physical, showing more offense than he's shown in the past. Uh, he looks like a hell of a hockey player. Just now, he he just signed an extension with Scott, and he's going to be over there for a few more years. Um, but in terms of pure ability as a player, he's one of the better defensemen in this draft. It's looked like just it's a matter of when can Carolina actually get him onto their roster. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's dive back in uh, with the year 2019, which uh, as you point out in the story, I, I don't think there's, you're going to have too many people debating what you have as the top three here. Jack Hughes, Moritz Sider, Trevor Zegras. Yes, I'm sure you'll have people quibble on the order, uh, but that is the clear cut kind of upper echelon of this class at this point. Right. Things could change, obviously. I expect things might even will change because just it's you know, over, over years, players change in their development cores and someone can really emerge like, you know, Matt Boldy or Bowen Byram or, or, or whatever. But right now, I think those three are true stars in the NHL and have clearly distinguished themselves. So my bone to pick with you then starts at the, at the second tier. Not because I don't think Dylan Cousins and Bowen Byram belong in it. They both do. Those are the two guys you have at number four and five. Why doesn't Matt Boldy? It's, it's not just that I think he should be in it. I think I'd have him at the top of that group of players. And you could – yeah, I, I get it. Like I said, I am six, so it's not like I – yeah, you don't I hate, hate, <laughs> hate the fuck. You basically said he should be four instead of six. Yeah, yeah, know? fair enough. <laughs> um, I, I just think those two have a little bit more of their game. I think there's the more, more well-rounded, particularly on the skating front, where I think Boldy is just completely driven by his skill and his hockey sense, which are both outstanding, both superior to the two cousins and, and Byram and, and those apartment by significant margins. Um, but I think it's just it's that element that he needs to – for him to be better than those guys, his offense is just going to need to be so good, so consistently, and it very well could be. I think by the end of the year, he might get to that point if he keeps playing the way he's played over his first, whatever it is, 30, 40, 50 games in the NHL. Uh, but I need, to, I need to see that consistently from him for me to get, to get to that point with him. I think for me, he's already, relative to Cousins, I think has shown that he is a, a solid tier above in, in terms of the offensive production. I do get Cousins more well-rounded player. Byram, I don't know if I'm just getting scared by the injuries a little bit. When he's been healthy, he looks amazing. Um, it just is going to be a concern for him. Oh, yeah, 100%. Those are all legitimate concerns. I mean, yeah, again, he was just so good in the playoffs. And, but the injuries are, are a concern. I, 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 give that, I give that to you. We could even talk about, you know, you have Bowley at the very top of tier three in kind of this collection of of really good wingers who in their draft year and maybe even kind of beyond it to some degree uh, came with some skating issues. Cole Caulfield, Arthur Kaliev, Caulfield more, I would say, in the context of his size rather yes. than just outright. Um, but all three of them in your top eight here on a redraft uh, speaks pretty well. Right. Cali have a little bit of a different situation than those two where he's not getting the prime opportunity yep. that Ka- that Caulfield is. And he's you know, bold. He's, I would say, playing much better than him o- overall. Uh, but there's some some rhymes there where you have three really talented wingers, um, a lot of offense, do it in different ways. You know, had, like I said, some their, their warts that got picked apart a little bit in their draft year, but but all have a ton of offensive ability. Kalia's ice time is not where those others two are yet, but he's still been quite productive and important for LA over the, over the last year and a bit. 
Um, but obviously Caulfield's been outstanding for Montreal over the last, let's say, 40, 50 games. And and Boldy, like we said, just been, just been a huge part of a good team of late. One of the kind of fallers in in this article is, is Kapokako, who goes to number twelve. I don't think it's a you know it's it's the projected top and middle of the lineup player. You're basically still calling him a a top six you know second line kind of winger, but he does fall back a little. Yeah, bit. which is what he is. He's looking good for the Rangers. Like he looks yep. like a good top six four right now. I think the question, and I'd be curious what producer Chris has to say about this, is just you know, you know I see there's skill, I see there's hockey sense, I see he's big, I think see he's powerful. But given he's just a so-so skater, is is the offense going to be significant enough to where he can consistently create uh, scoring chances and work his way onto those stacked Rangers power plays and, and really create opportunity for himself in that lineup? I mean, the way the power play is operating right now, that top unit. Um, nobody's going to work their way on there. I mean, they're just, they're scoring at a ridiculous clip. They, they look terrific. And Vinny Trocek has really fit in well in that unit. So, you know, making any kind of move on that top Rangers power play unit is, is probably unlikely right now. Um, I, you know, I think the strength of Kako's game is being able to work the puck below the goal line, below the hash marks and kind of, uh, win battles along the boards, get the puck to Zabanajad or back to the point and, and let Kreider set up in front. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know if he's going to have like that elite scoring ability. I just, I, you know, maybe it's too soon to tell, but I think, I mean, I think he's the type of guy that's comfortably going to be in like the 25 goal range, like when he really hits his, his peak, but I, but I don't necessarily see him as a top power play guy, you know, in, in the near future there. I have them back to back on the list. So I guess I would, I'd almost beg the question, how much different is Capo Caco from Vasily Podkolzin, like stylistically as, and also as overall players? I see a lot of rhymes between those two players right now. There is a lot of rhyme. I, I would say Caco's physical elements are still just a little bit better than than Podkolzin's, but not by a ton. Podkolzin is he's a competitive player for sure. Right. Both not amazing skaters. Both have offense, but I don't think you either call, call, ever call either of them like elite puck game type of guys. I think those – Having I didn't even really notice when I was making this, but even looking at it now, though, just having those two right next to each other, I think kind of fits. Yeah, my one question would be why are they a whole tier behind Kirby Doc, who I think you could say fits in with some of these same things. Maybe not the skating issue, but yeah, that's kind of why. I just think because Kirby's still the big center who can skate. I still think yeah. you're hoping for some projection there, even if it's clearly not going that well over the last year and a bit. Um, we'll see how his year in Montreal goes, and then if it's still not going well, you make some adjustments. One more big guy who had a skating issue and, and arguably I think still kind of does, but it just hasn't really mattered is Elmer Soderblom, who jumps up from going 159th in the 2019 NHL draft to being the number 19 player on your list here. He's a projected middle of the lineup player for you. And having seen him uh, up close for the entire preseason and season so far has been just so fun to watch. He's a really unique player. There isn't really anybody in the NHL at forward who looks like him, yeah. who's that big and has legit offensive skills where he can be he can beat guys one on one. He can do it in a different way because he's just so uh big and has such a great uh has such great reach that he can just you know, move pucks around guys in, in ways that they're not used to. And he can make some plays too. I don't think he's like a high-end passer, but he, he's shown he has good hockey sense. He can he can make the plays that help create scoring chances. Uh, the feet are rough, 
yep. really rough for the NHL. But when you're six foot, whatever he is, six, six, seven, six, eight, eight whatever he is. He is six, is. eight, a legit six, eight. Yeah, whatever, whatever he is, it doesn't matter if you're not that good a skater. If you have that type of size and you have legit top six skill as well. And what I think has, has really impressed me so far, and, and maybe this is kind of a lesson, is that even though the, the feet look heavy, he doesn't need that many strides until he's in a dangerous area at that length, right? Like he, he, he'll he beat a guy. This happened a few times already. He'll beat a guy on an entry and it's one stride in and he's he's in a shooting spot and, and, and the crowd kind of gasps because – not because the move was so crazy but because it's one move to beat him and, and suddenly you're in a dangerous spot. And so uh, I think he's going to need to take one more stride on, on some of those plays before they become really high danger chances. But it's coming, and I think the, the way that that line has worked, he's on a line with a guy who's 6'6", and Michael Rasmussen, and 6'3", and Oscar Sundqvist. They are ridiculous on the cycle. He's a guy that's interesting from the – talking about him from a draft perspective. If you go back to that draft, that when you watched him down that U18 team with, uh, you know, true, you know, at that time, high-end prospects, and Alexander yeah. Holtz and, and, and Lucas Raymond, obviously Philip Broberg was so good. He had Victor Soderstrom on there, Tobias Bjornfoot, a lot of first-round picks on that Swedish team. And when he went to the U18 World Championships, he had those flashes. He had some some moments that got you really intrigued, but he barely played. You know, you start questioning the hockey sense to go with the skating, but you saw the skill and the size. Cobble thought, oh, that's pretty unique. I don't see that a whole lot. And I just – those concerns made him sense to the sixth round and – it was almost kind of immediately after where he was so good in the Swedish Junior League. You kind of saw, okay, they might have something here. All right, and then let's wrap this segment with with 2018, that redraft. And Corey, the theme here seems to kind of be, this was one of the few years where I think you could look at it and say, did the NHL scouts overvalue the small, skilled offensive defenseman? No, you're right. I think the common uh, line you see a lot in public writing is that NHL teams overvalue size, that they should target the small skill players. That's where the market inefficiency is. Um, but you really look at the 2018 draft, and a lot, there was a lot of small defensemen that were picked high that are not providing dividends yet for their team. You look at Adam Boakvist, who went eighth overall, was part of the Seth Jones trade, and he's put up offensive numbers, but is struggling defensively with a healthy scratch recently in a, in a Columbus game. He's a really good player, but... But I would argue he wouldn't go top 10 or close to top 10 if he redid that draft. Um, you have other small defensemen in there who were who who are picked high. Ryan Merkley. Uh, Ryan Merkley. You have, you know, Rasmus Sandin, who's been fine with Toronto, but nothing, but nothing special. You know, you have, you know, Nicholas Bodin, who's an average American League defenseman right now. Ty Smith was just traded to Pittsburgh. He's, he had a really good camp, and I think barring cap issues, he would be on the team, but he's in the American League currently. I, when, I think he's a really good player still, but I wouldn't call him exceeding his draft stock by any means. Uh, it just does look like a year where the small defenseman doesn't seem to really be providing that ROI. Yes, Niels Lundqvist has looked good early for Dallas. Kalen Addison's looking good for Minnesota. Quinn you know, those Hughes. Are, you know, Quinn Hughes is... And I think the difference between Quinn Hughes and the rest of those guys is... And I think this is something I talk about when I tell people a lot. If you're going to take that small defenseman, he better be a really freaking good skater. Like really good. And that's what Quinn is. That's what Samuel Gerrard is. That's what Kalen Addison is. They need to be awesome skaters to go with that offense they have. Because if they're just nice skaters, kind of like what Boakvist is, kind of like what Lundqvist is, 
Merkley, Sandine's an okay skater, Bowden's an okay skater, Ty Smith is a nice skater, but like not like an exceptional one. You know, you're that they either need to be super competitive or got to have a world class hockey sense. And you see the defensemen that have really emerged from this draft are the defensemen with that size and two way ability. You know, uh, Noah Dobson, Evan Bouchard, Martin Faravari, Keandre Miller, Matias Samuelson. Those are the guys that are currently playing really important roles, and some of them on really good teams. Well, let's start with Samuelson because he just is coming off the, the contract. He's in the news. Uh, what has he done to establish himself as a player? I think you've got him 13 here, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. What has he done to kind of establish himself as a player who could jump from the first pick of the second round into the top half of the first round? I just think, you know, and I've um, I've struggled with Samuelson over the last few years. I wondered how much offense there was going to be. And I think he's shown there's enough secondary offense in his game. Puck, enough puck moving. Good. He has good hockey sense. Not great, but good enough to go with 6-4. Good skater for the size. Very physical and competitive. So it's just a combination of the size, the feet, the physicality, and enough secondary offense where you're thinking, okay, this is going to be an important top four defenseman. It may not put up the biggest numbers. He doesn't have to on that team, mind you, with, with, with the right. one overall picks they have back there. But you know they have him on that pairing right now with Dalene, and, and those two are vibing. Did you like the contract? I thought it was a little aggressive for a guy who's never going to have big scoring numbers, but he's a very good player, and I think it's. I don't think he's going to outproduce that value over the next few years. But I think you're hoping that he continues to develop. And, and mature physically, and by the time he's 23, 24, 25, maybe, you're hoping you're getting surplus value there, which I think is possible, because especially if the, if the cap keeps rising. Uh, that's the key to all of this, and I think we've seen this throughout the, the offseason, is teams pretty clearly are operating knowing that the cap is going to go up sooner, or, or with a good idea that the cap is going to go up sooner than later. Elliot Friedman reported it could be up to $92 million within three years. If that's the case, by percent of cap, this comes in – Closer to like 3.4, 3.5 million on today's cap. I don't think he's as good at the same age because I don't think the skating is quite the same level. But look at like where Jacob Slavin was when he signed that first long-term deal with, with Carolina. Or Brett kinda, Pesci for that matter. Right. That's a good. That's probably a better one. Um, you know, that's there's some analogies there, I think. Yeah. I think that's absolutely what Buffalo is going for here. They're hoping to get that kind of long-term cost certainty um, and, on, on a and, cap that'll and go. I think Kevin Adams even talked about that, their general manager, where he's, you know, we have some big paydays are going to be coming up soon. We need to get somebody who's good on a reasonable contract. And this is their bet on that. Yeah. I'm curious what the number will be on a guy like Keandre Miller, who you, you've got uh, really high on, on this list. Obviously, he, he's been a great player. Number nine, I think he could be even one tier higher in that same grouping with Dobson, especially with what we've seen from him so far this year. Yeah, no, he's been off to a really good start. I. Especially with given how good he looked earlier this season, I debated putting him in, into that into that you know around from nine to more five to six kind of thing. I think you can make reasonable arguments either way. You know he's showing really. I think in the games I've watched, he's showing a lot of skill to yeah. go with the frame and the skating and the you know he's jumping into plays. Um, you know, just overall, my question with him was always been how much offense there is there. Same thing with Ferravardi to an extent, who is. Higher, so I think you can make those arguments either way. I think Faravari's skating is a notch higher, but but they're both excellent skaters. Like I said, it's just it's all on the margins there. But I think you have you, know, you have Faravari, uh, Dobson, and Keandre, who are all three just tremendous defensemen who are all playing massive roles on their team already. Only a couple of years after being drafted. 
couple of wingers that I want to talk about in this draft. Uh, Kirill Marchenko, number 12, yet to kind of really become a full-time NHL player. But obviously with your placement here, you, you just love the projection this much. Yeah, that's kind of probably an aggressive one, I admit. And I, it could look terrible if, it, if he doesn't actually become good. Because I got, again, a, a good top four defenseman Ray Rander him. I have Kalen Addison, I think, Rander him too, is one of the top power play from Minnesota. Um, so, you know, I, I could see that blowing up in my face a little bit. Um, but I just think Marchenko, he's looked really good in the American League. He starts the first couple of games. And I just think once he gets adjusted to North America, 6'3 guy who can skate like he can, has legit offensive skills. He can shoot the puck. He can make plays. I just, I just think he's going to be a really good player. But I've been saying that for several years and eventually it has to happen. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. The other guy I want to talk about is Philip Zadina, a guy who went sixth overall in this class. And at the time, that seemed like maybe it might have even been a steal for the Red Wings. He comes in at number 16 for you. And it's interesting to me. I didn't think that he deserved to be a healthy scratch to start this season, but he was a healthy scratch to start this season for them. I think that was the result of some tough lineup decisions, part of that being the rise of Elmer Soderblom. But uh, to put him in at number 16, like, what do you think the opinion around the league is of Philip Zadina at this point in his career? It's definitely trending down. Like I've talked to people who around the league who have argued they wouldn't trade a first round pick for him right now. If he was on the open market or at least some a pick they think would be in the top twenty, maybe like a low first, high second type of thing. I mean, he's a scorer, right? And that's that's his whole shtick is he's a high skill guy supposed to score goals. And if he's not scoring goals, then there isn't a whole lot of value coming out of his games. He's not this great two way guy. He's not an interior offense type of guy. Um and the offense hasn't really been that consistent in his game. I watched the game he played when he got into the lineup. Yeah. You know, he looked okay, fine, stuff he usually does. But I, I again, he has tremendous skill, decent size, decent skater. He has to be just much more consistent and give a better effort every night. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because through the first half of camp, I thought he was one of the real standouts for the Red Wings, and it did fade as as the preseason went on. Maybe that's because you know other teams' big players start turning it on. You start playing more real NHL lineups, something like that. Um, but I I really look at him, and I still think you know the standout at this point for me is is kind of the sense and the playmaking. I think he makes the right play a lot of the time. Maybe can can get a little over aggressive uh, managing you know not managing the puck well enough. But I look at him and I see a real, you know, fresh start candidate here. If it's not going to work out in Detroit, if I'm another team, this is still a guy that I would take a swing on. Obviously, I agree with you. I don't think you're probably trading a first round pick for him. Um, But this would be a guy that I would target to try to give another look, especially if I'm one of these rebuilding teams that has some room in their lineup. Yep, I agree. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. 
With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Corey, let's close this one out with a mailbag, and we're going to lead it off with one from one of our coworkers. Low Tide says, I love reading your lookbacks on drafts. Is there an overriding skill or factor in the, in the progress? Speed, age of the player, puck skills. I wonder if there's a dominant factor that towers over everything. Like, should age be weighted double, for instance? It would be really easy if the answer was yes. Because <laughs> um, then you're like, oh, that's the thing that predicts success. Let me just jack all those guys up on my next draft list. Yep. Um, but really, you look through uh, these lists, and there's a lot of things that look different. You know, Quinn Hughes is a lot different than Keandre Miller. Uh, you look through 2021 and Seth Jarvis is a lot different than Brady Kachuk in terms of the kind of success, uh, they're having. Uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's hard to find, you can look through all of them. And if you, someone sees something, uh, a common theme, feel free to let me know. Um, but I, I don't see a common theme throughout them. I think it shows us that all different kinds of player types can have success. Um, it's just about finding the best player overall. Right. And we talked about kind of in that 2018 class, maybe there was some overdraft of the small skilled defenseman, underdraft of the the big mobile defenseman, but there are other drafts where that's not the case for. And so uh, it's kind of a moving, living, breathing thing. Right. You look at like, say the 2020 draft where you have Lucas Raymond and Seth Jarvis so high, obviously they're not defensemen, but they're, they're small guys and they're, yep. they're, they're huge parts of their NHL teams right now. Absolutely. So I, I think it's kind of living, breathing. Maybe the market the market moves, and, and uh, I don't think that would be a surprise. Louis Paul H. says, is there a generational talent in the 2023 draft after Connor Bedard? Who has the potential to become one and why? Man, two generationals in one year, that that's pretty rare. And I think you're kind of leading the witness there. Are we 100% sure Connor Bedard's generational? That's true, yeah. I mean, I would, you know, we'll see where we are when we get to the end of the year. You know, my lean would be no right now. Probably not all the way there with him. I love the player. I think he could be a, like a real legit NHL star, maybe even an NHL superstar. But like, I, I, is he general? Yeah. Is he McDavid? And I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far yet. And definitely wouldn't have the next guy in that range either. I think an interesting question with how strong Adam Fantilli starts the year is as we record this, he has eight points in four games in college. Depends how his start goes over the course of the year. You know, two of those games were against Lindenwood, 
So yep. you know a little a little bit of a little bit of context that needs to be put in there. But if he had, keeps up this up, or even to some extent keeps it up, I think you start asking the question: Well, how similar is he to Jack Eichel at the same age? Because um, I think that you know that he's what I've seen so far. He's the best draft eligible in college I've seen since Eichel. And I, I don't think he's a generational guy by any means. But Leo Carlson's off too, just an incredible start in Sweden right now, and a point per game guy in the SHL. With that kind of size is is really intriguing. Yeah, petition to just start using star rather than generational. Generational by definition, you may be getting one to two every ten years. That's what it means. Right, and McDavid is that. Crosby was that. Like like those they, that count. But I don't think from what I've seen that Bedard's at that level. Personally. Matthews would be like on the line for generational yeah. or not. So if, if you're yeah. saying generational, you're saying better than Austin Matthews. And to me, that that's the level of rarity that should be used with it. Yeah, and I'm not there with Bedard either. I don't think he's better than Matthews. Yeah. All right, uh, Derek Ford, if you had to pick the defense prospect with the highest floor of the next draft, who would it be? Which is a great question because, Corey, I don't think you're in love with the defenseman in this next draft. Am I wrong? No, I'm, I'm not. Like even the, the guy we had rated the highest coming into the draft, Cam Allen, has been okay to start the year so far with Guelph. Like I was, he's been like he's a good player. Looks like he could be a first round pick, but I wouldn't say he's looked anything special start the year. Um I, I don't know how you define highest floor exactly, but not really a term I use too often. Uh, but I look at maybe the big mobile defensemen as typically the guys you think, okay, they're going to yep. play. So I'm thinking of Maxim Sturback and Sioux Falls, and I'm thinking of Dmitry Simashev and Lokomotiv as the two guys that I think you know are big, mobile, have some offense. I think those are guys you think are going to play and help an NHL team in some capacity, how much offense they have to be determined. All right, let's get into one that's kind of in the more NHL realm. Jason S. wants to know, the Oilers look like they could really use another top four defenseman. Is Jacob Chikrin really the answer as someone who seemed to be more of an offensive type? What do you think would be a deal the Oilers would pull the trigger on? And if they want to add a forward and Kane isn't available, uh, what would be – what about Taves to to help run the third line and replacing Duncan Keith's veteran voice? We're jamming a lot in there here, but I want to focus it down on two things. Well, go ahead. Is Chikrin really just an offensive type? I don't think so, but I, but I think like maybe that's part of his question. Uh, is Jacob Chikrin a guy that you would target, and what would make sense for him? Let's just stick to that. Yeah, he's a hell of a player. I would want him. Just obviously matters on the price, and they have a cap situation there. They got they they've got a balance, but I mean, he's a big guys who are you know big and highly mobile like he is. I wouldn't say are just offensively tilted. Uh, I, I'm not saying he's this all world defender, but I think he's you know, he has good you know when you have that kind of uh, mobility and and length, I think. He'll make stops. He'll be fine in that regard. I think what's interesting is Ken Holland has kind of maybe taken a little bit of heat for not being more aggressive so far with this Oilers, uh, you know, pool trying to to be aggressive with McDavid. And, and I, I think they hoped Broberg would be ready by now. I think that was the hope going into camp is he would look ready and he didn't. And that's that that put a little bit of a damp into the situation. And I know again their defense has been a little. Tough to start. Bouchard has been okay to start. So those are the kind of things that are balancing. I, you know, the long year, I think Broberg should be on that team at some point this season. And I think he should be helping them win games at some point this season. Uh, but that's not there yet. Would that preclude you from taking a run, though, at, at Jacob Chikrin? No, it wouldn't. I think, you know, you got to take just kind of like Colorado did last year. You got to do flags fly forever. If you got a real team, you got to do what, what, what it takes to, to win. And obviously, you know, it's only a few weeks into the season. We'll see where they are by mid-year if they are in that position to really add and and, and make a run for the cup. But with the roster they have, I, I can't imagine they won't be. like it, it would be quite an achievement if they don't. 
let's say the price would be something like a first round pick, Xavier Borgo or Reed Schaefer, Jesse Pugliarvi, maybe one other asset. Is that in the ballpark? Does that get you chickered? I think it should. And, I think and you'd that make would, that deal, right? That's a fair deal? Yes, I would. And I, and I, I love all those. I think Schaefer's a really good player. He's off to a hot start. Borgo's a really good player. But you got to trade those guys to, to win championships. That, that's just the way it goes sometimes. All right, on to the next one. Uh, Tyler S., is it best to – we already kind of touched on this. Is it best to send Shane right back to the CHL? I think he needs to play a lot and be in a situation where he can dominate. What we didn't really cover in that discussion about Wright and Slavkovsky is Shane Wright in the CHL. And, and what do you think he can kind of get out of that? I think you're really hoping that he goes to the World Juniors as one of the top players there. Like he really hasn't really uh, – he was just okay when he was there in the 20s uh, a year ago. So you kind of hope for more there. I think you go, you know, he didn't dominate the OHL last year. I think we all presume if he goes back, he will dominate. Um, this is a guy who would be now in, you know, it's, it would be his, technically his third junior year, but it's his fourth year in major junior, quote unquote, because he missed the full year. So he's been a major junior player for a long time in, in, in this scenario. Uh, it's a tough balance. That's why I'm, I'm not, I would be, I'm not willing to pull the trigger on those two just yet. Give it a few more weeks, see how it goes. But eventually, if it's clear it's not going well, you got to do what's best for the player. And even if he'll score a goal a game, you got to send him back. You'd rather have him scoring a goal a game and playing 20 minutes that often, 20 plus minutes that often, than being on the bubble of that like 10 minutes a night or healthy scratch situation, I think. Yeah. When Arizona did that with Barrett Hayden, I didn't really like that. Yeah. Uh, Junior G says, this is perfectly fitting. Can you talk a little bit about the jump to the NHL and why fans should show patience for rookies making the leap? Uh, Junior G is getting tired of fans clamoring for the new rookie to get big ice time and being exasperated when he struggles. Looking for us to tell people that the NHL is hard and it is. Yeah, I. The things that will be the biggest transition for a lot of these players is usually the one, the speed of the game. And two, the, the physical strength it takes to excel in the National Hockey League. A lot of these guys, not even when they arrive, even like a year or two before, they have NHL skill already. They have NHL hockey sense already. But the, the biggest adjustments are usually the pace and the physicality. And sometimes you're, you're just not ready for it. Either you're not a good enough skater and you need to bulk up or uh, you are already physically advanced. But your your skating is just not ready yet, or you, or how physically advanced you are for junior hockey puts you all of a sudden not physically advanced in the NHL. You, you go from being the guy who is you know mature for his age, physically super strong, to being just a guy out there. And then those defensemen are used to handling guys like you, no problem. And so I think it it really is leveling up. You, you kind of have to create a new toolbox of of what you're going to go to. The moves that worked for you in juniors are, you know, not to say that you're not going to have moves that work for you in the NHL at some point, but you have to figure out what those are going to be. Right. And again, I think for the, for the most part, it is learning how to make those skilled plays at an NHL pace. Yeah. And you have to be able to get the puck to do that. And I think those young guys – Particularly the smaller young guy, they struggle to actually get the puck in the NHL because they can just get pushed off the puck too easily. Um, they try to get a zone entry, and the and the the six three defenseman who can skate just closes on them in a second, and they and they yep. lose control. It's in the corner. It's, they're on they're on the retrieval and coming back the other way. 
it's just those adjustments that take a lot of time. It's usually why the guys who make the transition right away are guys who look like Jake Sanderson, who are just these big, powerful skaters who just look like NHL players right away. And if they don't look like that, they're just so exceptionally skilled and smart, like say Lucas Raymond was, that it doesn't really matter. Well, I just got a up close look at Simon Edvinson trying to push to make the Red Wings roster. And he's a guy who is this big, fantastic athlete. It stood out right away. He can do a lot in transition, but he would also have plays where he would leave a drop pass for a guy at the blue line. And you don't have, you know, the, the amount of, of time that it, it's going to take for an NHL player to come in and steal that puck uh, is just much less than it that would be in, in what he was accustomed to. There's just less, you know, on, on the forecheck, the pressure that you're dealing with is heavier. Uh, he, he's going to be a great player. I have no doubt. What I saw from him in camp reinforced to me, in fact, how good I think he's going to be. But he just wasn't ready to be it today. Yep. No, I agree. John L., uh, my take on your analysis uh, and other opinions, too, with the 23 draft ahead uh, seemed to be a good draft made strong by the big three at forwards, light on defense, but not necessarily much deeper than most years. First off, is that take accurate? And second, if it is, uh, has anything changed in the early going? Yes, it is. No, it hasn't. <laughs> well, I but think you can say that the big three has maybe become a big four, big five, right? That was the one I was going to say. I think it's a big four now. I think Leo Carlson's season in the SHL has inserted him into that debate where I think you've got I'm not saying he's in that group yet. I'm not saying he's better than Anna Fantilli yet. I, I don't actually agree with that. Yeah, I'm not saying he's better than Monfey Mitchkov as a pure player, but given Mitchkov's situation with his contract, could I envision a situation where a team takes Carlson over Mitchkov? I can absolutely envision that right now. I mean Mitchkov's situation is a whole other issue. We're going to impact unpack it several times probably this season. He's not even playing right now. I think he's a scratch with the KHL team. Uh, but but Carlson is if he keeps this up, uh, he, he he that changes the you know how the top of the draft looks. You add potentially another high end guy to that mix. I don't think he's there yet because of his skating. Um, but if he keeps scoring like this and has a really good World Juniors, it could definitely change it. So for context, Leo Carlson has ten points in his first eleven games in the SHL last year. Marco Casper, who went eighth overall, had eleven in his forty-six for the year. So the, the the production there is off to a crazy start for Leo Carlson. Yeah, you compare it to any guys: Holt, Raymond, William Eklund. It's not even close. Yeah, I would say the end. The one the one thing from the draft is the draft looks real looks strong. Looks really strong among forwards and centers, but no defensemen right now is is a thing. Philip R. says, what would you like to see from Lucas Reichel in the AHL to say he's now ready to go up full-time, uh, given Chicago would call him up to uh, to their team, given kind of the circumstances there? And this goes right back to what we were we were talking about a minute ago in, in terms of uh, the, the, the challenges of the NHL for young players. Right. Now, if he keeps putting up three-point nights in the American League, it's going <laughs> to force their hand a little bit. Uh, I, I think he's looked good versus men whenever I've watched him in the American League at the World Championships. Again, the NHL is different. Bigger, faster level than those levels, obviously. Um, I, I just think he needs to keep playing how he's been playing over the last year, year and a year and a half, and I think he'll get there. And, and it may not, it may not be in, in the too distant future. Uh, Avco Cup wants to talk about Chaz Lucius. He says he's a pretty impressive debut weekend in the AHL at center. Is there a realistic chance he becomes an NHL center, or does he still project more as a wing? That's a tough one. I mean, depends what happens with Dubois, right? They might have to find a center somewhere. Um, I really like Chaz. Given his skating, though, that's the kind of the one question there is. As a below-average NHL skater, can he play the middle? 
if you're not like this exceptional playmaker or this exceptionally like you know highly competitive two-way guy like say a Cole Sillinger is. Um, it's why I think he's probably a wing, but I but he's played a lot of center in his life, so I don't mind the experiment, see how it works in the American League, and I'm not ruling him out being an NHL center because I think his puck game is really really good. Well, part of it's also comes like. Is is he going to be at his best as a center versus a wing, or is it can he do it? Because I think he can do it. But if you're trying to get the if you're trying to absolutely maximize Chaz Lucius, I think it probably happens on the wing. I tend to agree. All right, and then we'll close today uh, with one from Bennett P. Is fixing overtime three on three overtime? I assume he means as simple as switching ice sides to allow teams to play closer to their bench. I feel like it would fix it almost immediately. I'd never really thought of this this way, but I do think there's some merit to this. So my idea to fix overtime is a little bit more different than than Bennett's. Is you know I listen three on three overtime is a gimmick as is the shootout. We just think it's more closer to what we think hockey is than the other gimmick. Yeah. So we wanted this to kind of create hockey plays, right? We wanted to create breakaways. We wanted to create two on ones. We wanted to create you know rushes and and saves and and back and forth play. What I think has happened with the three on three overtime is. Not surprisingly, teams have figured out how to game it to figure out what's how to maximize the probability they're going to win. And the thing that I hate the most is the circle backs. That's the thing that I think screws up that flow of the two-on-ones back and forth, etc. Where if you're tired or you make the zone entry and you run out of space, you just kind of circle back and you pass it back to your goalie and you reset. So what I would like to see is almost like a backcourt rule. That they yeah. have that they have in basketball. That once you bring the puck into the offensive zone, if you try to either skate it out or pass it out of the zone, um, blow the whistle to give it back to the other team. Now that doesn't sound like hockey to a lot of people. It sounds like a gimmick, but it's already a gimmick. So we're just changing the rules of the gimmick a little bit. I think if you do it that way, you force people to try and make hockey plays in the offensive zone as opposed to trying to reset find the perfect play, and hopefully it creates turnovers and, and more offense. I see the logic in that. I think I just double the length of time, though. I, I just think, you know, 10 minute instead of five, you're, it, eventually it's going to break down, especially teams keep throwing the same players over the ice. Sure. Uh, I do get the argument, though, of the of the benches, I think, because you're not going to have the long change. Uh, I think there is there is logic in, in Bennett's idea. I, I don't mind. I, I'm not one of the people who's who has turned on three on three and, and t- feel like it's been turned into boring. I still think the tension is really high, even when teams are cycling back. I think it, it really does still keep you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I don't hate it, but I just think there's things that you can do to make it better and put more of the stuff you want to see in it into the actual action on the ice. Yeah, that's fair. And I think all these, I think all these ideas have merit. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. It's going to start you with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you can subscribe to the Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.